0: I want to introduce our testimony tonight. Uh, You've been uh, hearing him minister to us over the last few months. Um, So I'm going to give it over to Nick DeLotter.
1: Ooh, this feels weird without a guitar to hide behind. (laughs) But uh, anyways, uh, my testimony is, I think, pretty amazing. It's wonderful. God has done Incredible things in my life and completely blessed me, and that's why this is going to be one of the most boring testimonies you'll ever hear. <laughs> it's, it's one of those. So uh, I want to see a show of hands first. How many church kids? Check, check, check. Been going to church every Sunday since you were born? Yeah, good number of us. I'm with you. So uh, that's where my testimony really begins. Is I would say with my parents. They uh, <coughs> both uh, found Christ in uh, college. Mom grew up going to church too, but. Uh, they definitely raised me in an environment where I knew God and I knew Jesus, and uh, I loved him and tried to do my best to follow him. I was uh, one of those kids that never got in any trouble, really. I just kind of did the good kid thing, the little uh, report cards in school always had a pleasure to have in class. Uh, after every grade, it was me. We'd, we'd uh, have little baseball games with the neighborhood kids, and a fight would break out, and then neighbor's mom runs over and looks at her kid and goes, what happened? Then he gives the story, and then she looks at me and goes, is that really what happened? <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the kind of kid I was. Uh, I never got in too much trouble. And uh, growing up, uh, I actually had kind of, it's just the beginning of the sinful nature, just growing up inside me. Uh, you know, at school, I, I was a pretty mellow person. I had a lot of friends. I got along with everybody pretty well. So uh, I had friends. I never got in trouble. uh had the whole church thing, uh, uh, everything looked good, felt good, but what I didn't realize was going inside me was just this completely poisonous sin of pride, and it, it was a, a pride, in the good kid that I was, I would look at the kids getting in trouble and think, oh, they're bad, and uh, I wasn't a very compassionate or empathetic person. Uh, I thought I was above other people, <coughs> and it, uh, it was definitely something that took me a, a while to get over, and that was with God's help only. Uh, I grew up going to church, but uh, followed a friend to a youth group when I was a freshman in high school, and that was at a River 47 Church up the street here, and they had a just wonderful youth pastor at the time. He brought the word. He was faithful to it. Uh, He really gave us a good explanation of who Jesus is and what he wants for our life, and the first night I went there, he gave this message that just tore me in half. It was No matter how many good things you do, no matter how good a person you are, it's not good enough. And that comes straight from the Bible, comes from Romans chapter 3. We see it everywhere. Uh, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and no one is righteous, not even one. So, me with all my pride and looking down on others and thinking so highly of myself, uh, I just went home feeling like a piece of garbage because I wasn't good enough for God. And uh, I remember mom picked me up and I got in the car. Oh, how was it? And. I feel awful. Church never has made me feel awful before. I don't like that church. I don't want to go back, but <laughs> I'm really thankful I did though, because the the youth pastor just continued bringing Jesus into my life, and uh, I've been thinking about testimonies. And you have people with the testimonies where they've got the rough life, and it's all hard, and then they meet Jesus, and they just feel free. They feel released. And for me, it's the complete opposite. I felt awesome, and then the Spirit came into me and said, mm, "Take a second. <laughs> check yourself. (laughs) So uh, I grew up in high school. Uh, That's uh, one thing that I would say is an amazing blessing that God uh, reached down to me and called me at the age of 13. It's just such a blessing to start that young. And I I know a lot of uh, church kids, it it takes a little longer and that's completely God's credit that he made me feel like garbage that night and that I kept coming back and uh, he called me to him. So I grew up uh, in high school that way. And that brought me to uh one of the greatest areas where God's really spoken into my life is uh just through worship ministry. It's a ministry that I got called to early. I was at a summer camp and I saw the band and I just felt like this is something God really wants me to do and pursue. So um I stole my brother's guitar and started learning a few licks off the internet. So I went up to the youth pastor and said, Hey, I'd really like to play in the worship band. Uh can can I get started? And he goes, Sure, well what can you do? So um, I busted out the intro lick to Super Mario Brothers, and I didn't know a single chord, which is basically all I play up here now. So he said, "Ah, yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you just practice with us for the summer, and then maybe next school year launch, we'll let you play." So I uh, just came back during all the summer and uh, felt a little rejected there because I still had that pride issue, and I'm awesome. Why wouldn't you want me? <coughs> Uh, So that's uh, another humbling issue where God really spoke into my life. And uh, so I was a sophomore in high school. I started playing bass with the worship team. And uh, from there, I went into guitar. And this uh, youth pastor that had really kind of brought Christ to me ended up being uh, called to a church up north. So uh, he went to Modesto, and that was a little hard for us to transition. We had to bring in interim youth pastors. And uh, all in all, I had five youth pastors, uh, Dave included, in my high school experience. I wish I'd found you freshman year. (laughs) So (laughs) it's okay. It's okay that you're cool. So, uh, and through all these changes, the uh, worship team actually kind of fell apart. It was a ministry that uh, the worship pastor, I mean, a youth pastor there actually led worship too. So he would teach us, he would get his guitar, and then he would play and he'd sing. And he had this whole band of kids that I was part of. And uh, when he left, he handed it over to one of our college kids who kind of just dipped out, and the worship ministry just fell apart. So he was the leader. There was the girl that was lead singing because I couldn't sing at all and still can't. So I wouldn't sing at all. I would just stand there and play guitar and make Jill sing for me, standing next to me there. But uh, so college guy leaves. Lead singer girl moves to Oklahoma. I'm third in line. People start coming up to me and saying, Nick, we want worship back, and uh... that's one time that i really felt god speaking into my life he said okay i've called you to this ministry i've given you the opportunity the body wants it now go and it was the greatest test of faith for me because i still only knew four chords i couldn't sing at all but <clears throat> I, I just answered god and got up there and struggled through it and i can tell you a bunch of really awesome failure stories that i'm finally not ashamed of anymore <laughs> So uh, that was going on, and uh, through another youth pastor change, the worship ministry kind of fell apart again, and uh, it just didn't happen, and I felt God calling back to me again another time, saying, Nick, this is what I've called you to, make it happen. So I talked to the guy who was our youth pastor at that time. I said, you know, I'm feeling called to get worship going again. I'd really like to start the team up and get going with things, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's great. We'd love to love to have that going. So I spent three months going through all my old chord sheets, practicing songs, Uh, trying to learn how to sing and strum at the same time, which is a whole lot harder than it (laughs) sounds but uh, for a a kid in high school. (coughs) So I got all ready, and it's uh, the week before our school year launch, and um, I'm supposed to be getting going with worship. We got the band back together. We're practicing, and uh, I talked to uh, Jordan. I'm like, okay, so next week's the launch. Uh, You you want me to get a worship set together? And he says, well, um, actually, we've somebody else that's going to be doing worship but uh, i mean if you want to be a part of the team that's that's cool but i mean it's not really what we talked about and i felt a little rejected and oh okay yeah well i can can help out there and then that week i was doing both youth groups at this point this was my senior year so i was still going to a river on wednesdays and then here with uh, what was then Covenant community church on fridays with dave's youth group so i had this conversation with jordan and then four days later i'm having lunch with the youth group here And uh, Dave says, hey, Nick, we're launching this new ministry, and I know that you've been involved in youth worship before, and we could really use some help here. So uh, I saw that as God closing a door, opening a window. It's uh, how I ended up at this church today was through that experience. So uh, that's just an incredible way that God's spoken to me and moved me through life. And uh, Dave loves talking about our Philippines missions trip. It was kind of a a breakout trip for me uh, as far as. Uh, stepping out in faith and feeling that confidence in God because i uh, I ended up leading worship for the team for three weeks, doing just two songs every morning and uh, at that point, I was doing worship with the youth group here, and uh, you know, i was. me a fire my heart and that that was pretty much worship i uh, i'm i 'm glad we had uh, David Clark to actually sing for us. <laughs> So uh, that was going on, but through this uh, trip, it was uh, just a group of 10 people for three weeks, two songs every morning, and we just grew so tight as a team. As a member of the body of Christ, we grew so close together. Uh, It was where God showed me that, you know, this is something you can do, and I ended up doing worship with uh, their youth group in the Philippines there, and I just remember the surreal experience of being 7,500 miles away from home on the other side of the world, And the entire time, I just had this awareness that I was in another country, you know, the people are nice, uh, there's a good pastor, it's a message, it's the body of Christ, but I'm still 7,000 miles away from home. But uh, in that time when I was doing worship, I just felt that unity in the body of Christ. I felt like I was part of his bigger church, like where I was on the globe didn't matter because it was just being with God in his kingdom. (coughs) And I... that was just one of the times that God's really opened up doors to me and opened up my eyes. And uh, here I am able to uh, get in front of a room full of people and belt it into a microphone with all this. I've I've been told I have great confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that confidence just comes entirely in Christ. I mean, it's it's easy to say yes when he calls because he has been so faithful to me. It's It's not my faithfulness to him. It's his faithfulness to all of us. He's shown us over and again over and over and over throughout history that uh when he calls us to something he'll provide a way so uh, even though I've been completely unequipped for each of these phases God's worked through me, and uh just really shapes me into this person that can serve him, and I just know that it's all because of him just working through me and i uh, it's that faithfulness because he is faithful and just coming out of uh this testimony um I mean, everybody makes mistakes. You know, I've got, I've got bad stories too. There's things I've done that I'm not proud of, and if you wanted to find them, you wouldn't have to look far because uh, pretty much any time I felt like I was at a low, there's somebody sitting in this room that was right there next to me. And I mean, it's, I've I've always had this thing with uh, even as a youth leader, people felt like I was unapproachable because I've got this good kid story, but I, I've messed up too, and. I know that there is no one who is righteous, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I, if anybody comes up to me and tells me something they're going through, some problem, I'm right there with you. That's what I tell them, <laughs> you know, because we all desperately need God. We need a Savior, and we can be faithful to him because he's faithful to us. So uh, I wanted to share that. And, uh One of the verses that I've come to live by is Romans 12.2. It says, uh, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test his good and pleasing will. And that's uh, the transformation that I've seen in me from this real arrogant, proud kid to somebody who God's knocked down a notch. And uh, he's still transforming me every day. I love to see it. And that's one verse that just really stands out to me. In Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live. Or for I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's all part of that transformation. So those are two pieces of scripture that I always come to mind that I try to live by, and I'd encourage everybody else to take a look at them too. That brings me to today. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) I I can't tell you how amazed I am by Nick's faith and his uh, desire to serve the Lord. When we were first starting about talking, starting a uh, talk, when we were talking about starting a Sunday night service, um, we started praying, and I think it it started with Corey and me, myself, and then Nick. We the thing I said we need we need a worship leader because <laughs> I've never been able to lead worship, and so we started praying, and then uh, a couple weeks later, Nick says, "Hey, I I want to do worship for your Sunday night service." <laughs> I was like, "Awesome, you're in." Uh, and then uh then we said, "But we need a drummer, and so we started praying and nick 's like you 're not going to believe this. We not only found one drummer but two, and uh now we have three right? yeah, we have three three drummers, but uh the whole way uh, i 've seen Nick just pray and say, Lord, use me i 'm yours and I think that that 's really what it comes from i 've never uh felt confident up here. But I know that if God gives me the platform, I'm going to glorify Him, and that's what I see you doing all the time. So thanks so much, Nick. I appreciate that. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. So, all right, our scripture reading today is from First John chapter five, and we're in verse eighteen. First John chapter five. Now we're we're going to be finishing First John today. And next week, we're starting the book of Mark. So we're going to go through the life of Christ, and that will be good. So if you have friends that aren't familiar with the the life of Christ, uh, aren't familiar with the gospel, uh, bring them on Sunday nights. We're going to be going through Christ's whole life talking about it, talking about what he taught and what he did. And we'll be doing a lo- little bit faster pace because it's the book of Mark, and Mark has a fast pace to it. You'll see in the book of Mark, he constantly says, immediately, immediately, immediately. So it fits well, with the American uh, pace of life, huh? All right, First John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. God, help us to apply it. Lord, we pray that we would understand it with our minds, Lord, and that we would put it into our hearts, ready to act upon it. Lord, I pray for this fellowship, God, that this fellowship would not just keep the good news within this room, Lord, but they would take it out into their workplaces, their homes, their cities, everywhere they go, Lord, that they would be an incendiary fellowship, Lord. We just thank you, God, and we want to serve you and bring glory to you. So now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth would honor you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, read an interesting story recently about a tailless, uh, the tailless albatross. Um, Now, these birds uh, mate off the coast of, uh, or off uh, a chain of islands, in the, uh, they're called the Izu Islands in Japan. And this particular short tailed, not tailless, short tailed albatross had, uh, a, they were actually endangered. And they weren't endangered because people were hunting them, because frankly, I, I can't imagine that albatross tastes good. In fact, they had a whole island all to themselves. In fact, the Japanese termed, termed the island, they named the island Bird Island. And so the the, the albatrosses had this island all to themselves. There were no predators on the island. In fact, they had everything going for them to to have a great, fruitful, albatross-type life. But there was a problem. They were mating and nesting on this hillside of the island that was a a very steep volcanic hillside. that was uh, very loose gravel and such that every so often there would, be the, there would be an earthquake or whatever and gravel would come pouring down and wipe out all their nest, and that was it. And so they were becoming extinct for where they were choosing to put their nest. Scientists were trying to figure out how to save them, an orth- orthologist. And so they, they took and they built little uh, breaks in the, the mountainside. Hopefully that, that would stop some of this volcanic shell and ash from spilling off the the nest. But unfortunately, it just wouldn't happen. It continued to happen. The bird population continued to die. Less than a mile away across the island was a beautiful, uh, very slant, low slope, green acres, perfect place for nesting. It was perfect. Grass everywhere. It was just a very minor slope down, it, it, it was the perfect place. But no matter what they did, they could not get the albatross to move and nest there where they would be safe. It's interesting how the fact that the, uh, th- what it came down to was that these birds were colonial breeders. They won't go anywhere if not everybody's going. If everybody's over there, that's where they're going to go. That's where they're going to stay. I kind of think that we as humans are a little bit like that those albatross. That we're colonial in the sense that, hey, if the world is going this way, let's just jump on. Seems like a good idea. But that's not true for us Christians. Us Christians are called out from the world. We're called to be different. And tonight as we look at these passages, we're going to see three things, three truths that John gives to us to live, live out in our lives Truths that will guard us, truths that will keep us in the light as he is in the light. That first truth is this, sin no longer reigns in the life of the believer. You must understand if you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, sin will no longer reign. Christ came to set us free, and we are free indeed. If we are of God, then we will no longer continue to sin. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, 1 John 5.18. Throughout his letter, John has told us over and over. He has taught us that sin does not belong in the life of the believer. And I understand that we find this kind of a little bit of a paradox because the fact is our experience sometimes seems to show us otherwise. We know we, we, we've done sin. In fact, I'm, I'm sure all of us this week can say at some point, yeah, I, I sinned that. Maybe you came into the service remembering sin that you've partaken in this week, and you've, you, as we're doing worship, you're like, Lord, forgive me for that sin. And that comes to, to your idea. So our common experience doesn't seem to match up with this truth that sin no longer reigns in the life of the believer. 1 John, in chapter 1, John says that, we can't, if, unless we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have no fellowship with Him. 1 John 3, 9, John tells us, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. The Christian is regenerate. That means you're born anew, born again. The old is gone, the old is dead. But like I said, our common experience doesn't always show that because we know We struggle. We, we even get discouraged and, and bummed out or depressed when we sin because we feel like uh, this old man is supposed to be dead, the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that I'm a new creation in Christ, but I'm still struggling with this sin. Well, I want you to know something. We will struggle with sin in our lives until the day we go to be with the Lord. In a sense, John is showing us our, the, the, the last things, what, what will eventually happen. But he's also saying that there's no place to allow the practice of sin in a believer's life. If you know you're in sin, if you know you're committing a sin, you need to get rid of it. You need to repent of it. You need to turn back to the Lord because it does not belong in the life of a believer. There's no common ground between the holy and the common or those things that are sinful. If you choose to follow Christ, it must be holy. And then you'll see that you are a new creation in Christ. That new person is growing inside of you. Day by day, you are becoming more and more like Christ, created in his image. Less and less like the image of the world. In fact, you're going to find that it's harder and harder to be a part of this world. You'll find that there are things that you just don't like anymore. You don't like partaking in anymore because they are contrary to the Christian life. That new man inside of you or new person is growing and is growing more and more. Christ is making you into his likeness. And it's an awesome thing. But it's a good test for us to remember that no one, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So there's a challenge here. It's a challenge to you. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to each one of us to evaluate our lives and say, Lord, am I allowing an ongoing sin in my life? Am I loving money? Am I, am I being slanderous or gossiping? Am I, am I being sexually immoral? What am I allowing in my life? that is against you, God, that is sinful, that I am practicing. I'm even maybe making excuses for those things to live that way. In my family, the excuse was, well, we're Irish. We have tempers. That was my mom's side of the family. In my dad's side of the family, it was, well, we're German. We have tempers. (laughs) Huh. Well, we're Mexican. We have tempers. (laughs) Well, we're this. We have this. You know, it just goes on and on and on. We will justify sin. Well, I, I really love her, or I really love him, so therefore it's okay for me to be sexually immoral. Doesn't God honor that? No, he does not. If you want to be sexually active, get married. Then God blesses it. It's amazing. It's an awesome thing that God does. But we have to confront ourselves. We can't say, well, I'm a man, so I'm just built this way. I've got to act out this way. I'm a woman. I've got to act out this way. No, we need to submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, is there a sinful practice in me? And I'm telling you, if you're born of God, you will know exactly. While I'm talking about this, you're probably saying, how does he know? What in the world? How did he No, because the fact is we're all in the same state. We all deal with sin. But we cannot practice sin if we're truly born of God. So if you are practicing sin, you may have to ask yourself a question tonight. Do I want to be born of God? Am I ready to be born of God, that new creation in Christ? And if you are, well, there's surrender. You surrender to Him. You repent of your sin. You turn towards Him. And you receive the forgiveness, that grace that Nick was talking about, that I talked about. The grace that God offers us through his death on the cross. He died for you so that you don't have to. I was explaining that last night, in fact, at a, a wedding. I was sat down with uh, a uh, well, it, <laughs> I, I just asked people questions and as soon as I ask a question, my wife goes, here we go. <laughs> so she graciously told me, you know, you've got to be more careful. But, uh, I asked, you know, so what do you guys believe in? <laughs> and I uh, had all sorts of answers. But one of the person says, well, you know, I, I, I'm an atheist. Oh, okay. Um, and I said, so what do you do about when you do something wrong? How do you take care of that? Well, Christians get judged when they, when they go into prayer and they go before God. They're, they're judged by God. And, but me, I just realized, like, oh, I shouldn't do that again. And I said, oh, no, you totally misunderstand Christianity. We are not judged by God. Rather, he has taken our judgment upon himself. Jesus came. He, took, he paid the price for me and for you, for this world, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that I could have life. I receive no judgment when I go before the Lord. In fact, when I sin, I go to him and I say, Lord. Forgive me for this sin. I repent of that. I turn from it, Lord, and I ask that you forgive me and help me not to do it again. And I'm forgiven. In fact, I was forgiven before I even did it because I come in his name by his blood. It's a powerful truth. There's a second part to this verse, and it answers the question, how, how do we keep ourselves from sin? And and by the way, I want you to say, before I read that second part, I want you to notice something. The word there, and we know, is in that perfect tense. And it's saying that this is a state of being. is a state for you to be in as a Christian to know that you are not capable of continuing on in sin or practicing sin as a believer. It's a state of being. The second part of the verse, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This is a tricky passage, and I accosted Pastor Rod after this morning service. I'm like, Rod, because Rod's way better at Greek than I am. And I'm like, I have a simple Greek question for you. And he's like, your Greek questions are never simple. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, just, just give me, <laughs> if, if, you, if you don't want to deal with it, you can just tell me, because I know you're tired from preaching. But he, he was gracious with me, and he gave me some time, and we went over, and this is a tough passage. He gave me a third idea to this passage. But here's where the tough part comes in. The ESV translates it, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. But the King James Bible and the New King James and a couple of other Bibles translate it, but he who was born of God protects himself, and the evil one does not touch him. So my question is, who, who is protecting who? Am I, am I protecting myself by being in Christ? That's a possibility that just by being in Christ I am protected from the evil one. Or, or maybe it's I'm guarding myself by, by living in Christ. I, I'm guarding what I'm doing. I'm being careful. I am so sorry. Sorry. The worst part is with iOS 8, it shows up on my (laughs) iPad. Go away! All right. So. (laughs) Yeah, please don't call me during the service. It will be a great trick. It will be hilarious. Everyone will laugh. But. uh, (laughs) Anyway. But uh, so the question is, is it, is it me having to guard myself in Christ Jesus? And we obviously that's a truth from Scripture. We're admonished to do this and encouraged to guard ourselves, to not associate with sin, not put ourselves near sin, put ourselves in the way of temptation, but to, to protect ourselves. But I, I, I think that this has to do with more. This is my personal opinion, that the, the one who guards us is Jesus Christ, and the reason why I've come to this opinion is because it seems to fit with Johannian theology. Now, let me just, I just used a big word. The theology of John. Okay? How John's gospels go. John says this in John chapter 17, or, or Jesus says this, John r- writes it down. While I was with, th- with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in, in the, the wor- the thi- these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have, I have given them your word, and the word was, ha- was hate, uh, The world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, Jesus is praying that prayer. He prays that prayer for the disciples. He prays that prayer for us that God would keep us from the evil one. I, I think that that's who John is talking about. But he who, was, he who has been born of God, the, the, this one who's been born of God, is the one who's going to protect us. He protects him, he protects the one in Christ from the evil one so the evil one does not touch him. Paul says this at the end of Thessalonians, which I've shared with you at the end of services. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you you." completely. The word sanctified means to make holy. May may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Now here's where it is. He will surely do it. I think God will keep us. He will protect us he keeps us in Christ. These other ideas are good ideas and I'm I'm not going to say we just we really don't know and and you say well let's go back to the Greek manuscripts. Well th- even within the Greek manuscripts some translated it himself and some translated it him. And you say well how could that happen? Well the difference between himself and him in Greek is an epsilon. It's just an e added onto the word almost like a prefix. So that, that's the only difference. So yeah, somewhere along the line is, as they were making copies, we go back and we look at these things and we go, oh, well, it could be either. How does it change the doctrine? Well, it really doesn't change it because both things are supported in Scripture. But I think it's Christ. I think it's Christ. And, I, and where I'm going with this is I think you and I can depend upon the Lord Jesus to protect us. God tells us in his word that none of us are tempted beyond what we can bear. But He will provide a way out for us so that we will not sin. God always provides a way out for us. He gives us the truth so that we can distinguish good from evil. So I I really believe that if you trust in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you will be guarded. But there's that act of trusting in Him. We don't always want to do that. And this brings us to the second truth that we need to understand in this life is That the world system is from the evil one. The world system is from the evil one. John says that in this verse. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world, its systems, and its system and values are of the devil. And I know that sounds funny. For some reason, you just kind of, when you hear of the devil, you think of somebody in the south saying, That's of the devil, you know? But it really is. And you need to be wise about this and understand that this the world system, the things that it puts forth, these are not from God but from the evil one. And you'll be wise to take note of those things because you'll be a lot less likely to be deceived by the devil, the evil one, if you know that already. If you know that Hollywood's goal is not that you would live a good moral life. Hollywood's goal is to make money, and they will do whatever it takes to make money. They are part of this world. Corporations, they're of this world. I mean, you can have a Christian person running a corporation, but you'll see within the system, the way it works, people are of this world, and they're not out for your best benefit. So where do we go? Where do we find truth? Well, I believe that we can find partial truths within the world. But Satan's really good at partial truths. That's exactly what he did in the garden. Did God really say you would die if you ate of that tree? He kind of shifted a little bit, shifted the wording there so that Adam and Eve would, Eve would take of that fruit In fact, you can find partial truths in every world religion, in Buddhism, in Islam. You can find partial truths. You can find truths about society because the fact is we're all people and we can relate to certain things. But you cannot find the truth, the whole truth, that truth that brings salvation, that truth that sets one free in this world. You will never find it no matter where you look. You won't find it except through Jesus Christ. And don't worry, I have scripture to back that up. (laughs) Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Pontius Pilate, when he was putting Jesus on trial, he asked a very pertinent question because Jesus talked about the truth. And Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? funny, I had that similar conversation last night where truth was relative. Truth was really right and wrong is really based in me. It's kind of up to me to decide, uh, you know, the basic truth is be good to others. You know, maybe you've come in here tonight with that basic truth. Well, I want to be good to others. I want to I live out a good life. I want to treat people well. Well, that is, that's good to do. I, I would agree with that, especially as a Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. I Totally agree with that. The question is, how do you know what's good? If you have no unchanging lawgiver to tell you what is good, no source of good, how do you discern what's good? Well, what the world does is it goes to the world. But if the world system is of the devil, if it's of the evil one, guess what? You're already starting in the wrong place and you're going to be deceived. The Christian goes to the word of God. The Christian goes to the Lord himself. It says, what is good? What is truth? Unlike Pilate who's taking that relative stance, we go to the word of the Lord. I want you to know that this world system will pass away. Christ is coming and he's coming to redeem, to take back this world. Revelation 5, chapter 5 tells us this. John is In heaven. And there's an interesting scene unfolding in heaven. There's a scroll. And everybody sees this scroll with seven seals on it. And they say, Who is worthy to open up this scroll? People start looking around. John begins to weep, he begins to cry out, We need someone to open up this scroll. Jesus Christ has conquered. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of the David. He is the one who has conquered, and He is the one who's worthy. Now you may say, well, what is that scroll? Well, I, the book of Revelation never really says what the scroll is, but here's what the scroll does. When the scroll begins to open, it ushers in the tribulation time, the judgment upon this earth, every seal as it's broken. Judgment starts pouring out and God's wrath starts happening on this earth. Moving towards Jesus Christ's return and his establishment of his thousand year reign. And eventually the new heavens and the new earth. The old will pass away and there will be the new heavens and the new earth. So this world system, although for now it's in control of Satan As long as we recognize that truth, we can know how to live in this world. Because we're not of this world. We're in Christ. But I really want to challenge you, especially those of you in this room that are younger, to be aware of the lies that this world will tell you. I mean, it's full of it. It, it, It'll try to breed relativism in you. That's the idea that, well, well, truth is whatever you want to believe it is. It'll try to tell you that things are good that God says are wrong and sinful And you must go to the Word of God. If lies and half-truths are all we can expect from the world, it follows that truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. Do you realize that? I already told you that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You know, I I was uh, thinking about a good illustration for this and the movie The Matrix came into my mind. Y- you know, that 1999, something good did come out of the 90s. <laughs> you know. uh, the movie The Matrix. <laughs> now, The Matrix is steeped with Eastern mysticism and religions, and I, I know that. But it works for an illustration of, of truth. Because Neo is plugged into The Matrix, and you find out this this terrible idea that that Neo is actually a a battery. All the humans have become batteries for robots. It's one step further than Terminator, okay? If you thought Terminator was bad, Matrix is way worse because they're just using us for batteries. But Neo, when he meets Morpheus in the Matrix and Morpheus starts to confront him, he sets forth a choice to him. And he said, you can take the red pill or the blue pill. The question is, do you want to go down the rabbit hole with me? Do you want to venture forward with me and really find out what the truth is? Neo chooses the truth. And what he finds as he comes out of the matrix, as he gets unplugged and he starts to see the world for what it is, that he was just a battery to run some robots, that all the reality that he thought was real was fake. And the real world is much different. Real truth is completely different than what he thought was true. You can never go back at that point. Once you've been exposed to the truth, you just can't go back. And why would you? It's a terrible way to go back into the, okay, you know, I want to get plugged back in. In fact, I think one of the bad guys does say that. I don't really remember that well. But once we know the truth, once we're exposed to the truth, it's hard to go back. You wouldn't ever want to go back because the truth sets us free. So John says here in his, the final two verses, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Jesus came so that you could understand these truths. He came to, in a sense, unplug you from the world system. Unplug you from the clutches of the enemy. Unplug you from being chained down by sin, to set you free, to give you a hope and a future, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. There is no other God but the living God. And we know Him through Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, I, at this dinner last night, we were talking, and uh, there were different ideas coming forth about uh, God because one person was saying, well, just believe in something. And I said, well, can I ask a question? Is the belief in something, is it a personal being or is it a force? And they're like, I don't understand. I'm like, well, here's what I mean. A personal being has a mind. Uh, They can act. They're they're purposeful. Not a person like you or me, but, but, but a greater being who is personal. They have a mind. Or is it a force like in Star Wars that just like, there's really no good or evil. It's just like, force. I, I can open doors with it. And whatever. <laughs> and uh, and this is what was said. Well, I never thought about that. I was like, And I told them, well, I want to propose to you that the Christian worldview has the best answers and offers the most robust life of any other worldview on this planet, of any other religion. What I mean by that is that It offers answers to the question of why am I here? What's the point of life? What's what's my purpose? And what do I do about the things I've done wrong? What do I do about guilt? What do I do about those things? And what happens after death? The Christian worldview answers these questions best, best. And we find it in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. There are no other gods so John ends his letter with little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, we may ask ourselves, well, I'm not sure if that's as relevant to me today. We, you know, I don't live, I don't have idols in my household and statues built up. Listen, an idol is anything that becomes the object of your devotion and your affection. It's what you live for. An idol can be money. It can be your family. It can be a girlfriend, a boyfriend. It can, be, it can be anything. It can be kids. Idols can be all sorts of things. It's that thing in which once it's ripped from you, your world falls apart. Because the fact is, is that idols eventually will always let us down. The very first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord God. You see, God will never let us down if we follow him. The road to destruction is very wide. It's very broad. It's easy to find, and it's the easy path, no question about it. But it's tricky. It's like a snare laid for an animal. It looks enticing. There's, oh a little snack there. I'm going to hop on over and get it. Being a little rabbit. Right? And then all of a sudden, this rabbit gets entangled in what looked like a free, easy meal. And snares are only meant to do one thing. They're meant to maim, dangle, or strangle, or something else. But basically it's to kill. That's what snares are meant to do. And that's what the wide road is meant to do. It will lead you down to a path of destruction. It looks looks fun. It looks easy. It's full of bright lights. And, oh, look, there's a Ferris wheel. I don't know. But... (laughs) Clearly in my mind I see something different than maybe you do. The narrow road that leads to life, it looks narrow, like I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Won't I have to give up some of my freedom? That road isn't quite as wide. I can't totally do what I want on that road. But amazing as you start down on that road leading towards Christ that it opens up to all kinds of freedom that you never could imagine. God hates idols because God knows that idols are what set themselves up against the truth of Him Himself. Idols are what cause your destruction and your ruin. So John says, Keep yourselves from idols. Going back to the short tailed albatrosses. <laughs> Scientists finally figured out an idea. They got an idea. They said, hey, you know what we might be able to do? Since they're colonial breeders, let's get a whole bunch of statues and we'll carve them to look like short-tailed albatrosses. And we'll put them in various positions. And and we'll, we'll, we'll pose them in, in positions of like they're mating things or whatever the case is. I don't know. Anyway, they put them all over this grass area that's perfect for for albatrosses to breed. And a little albatross, uh, a three year old albatross, I guess they're not little, but I just assume it's little. I feel bad for this guy, named Deco, tried to woo this wooden decoy by building <laughs> fancy nests. <laughs> he fought off rival suitors. He spent his days standing faithfully by her side. In fact, the Japanese researcher said, this albatross's infatuation with the wooden decoy, seems to have, he seems to have no desire to date real birds. <laughs> you know, once you know the truth, you won't settle for, when you love the real deal, you'll never be satisfied with an idol. And I'll tell you right now, if you're willing to let go of your idols you're going to find that you, you'll you have a life and life abundant waiting for you. But that's hard letting go to idols because you know what idols are? They're the object of our devotion and our affection. They're what our life has been built around and to let go of that idol can be a very painful experience. Deco put his heart and soul into wooing. I don't even know if he has a soul. But <laughs> into <laughs> into wooing this wooden bird that would never give him the fruit that he wants to give, (laughs) have. He wasted his life being in love with an idol, a fake object. The question is, will you do the same? Will you waste your time loving a false idol? So much so, because I'll tell you right now, it will always disappoint you. People will disappoint. Money will disappoint. It can't buy happiness. We have already know that. There's tons of illustrations for that. We can't take it with us past the grave. The object of your affection, kids will grow up and leave the household? Will you love the real God or will you hold on to that idol? It will be a painful experience letting go of that idol. I, I promise you it will be painful. But it will be worth everything. Because on the other side of letting go of that idol, as you turn towards God in dependence, trust, and obedience, you're going to find life and freedom and joy like you've never known before. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your, your truths that you give to us through your word. Father, we just ask for your blessing to be upon this group, Lord. God, I, I pray that you would help them to live out this life that you've given to us in Christ Jesus, looking forward to a day when you will return for your church. God, we look forward to meet you. Whether you take us home or whether you, we meet you in the air, God, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Until that time, Lord, we just, I just pray, dear God, that you would continue to, to give us that hope, Lord. Help us to rely upon you to do this work in us, making us holy, making us more and more like you. We thank you. And I pray, too, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, anyone in this room that has been holding on to an idol, God, that they would just turn, turn to the Lord God and find life and life abundantly. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.